Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, Marcus. Morning, Annie, and morning all the uh, listeners out there. Yeah, this is Solidarity Breakfast. You're on 3CR. And uh, we're going to kick off straight off about a community protest at Coolaroo this morning. And we've got uh, Sue... Vittori, who's the founding chair of the Anti-Toxic Waste Alliance and secretary of the Friends of Crooks Bank Park on the line. G'day, Sue. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. And thanks for having uh, me back on the the show. Yeah, well, it's important stuff. We've just had uh, reports coming out of the uh, government saying that uh, this uh, plant... uh, is a major, uh, not just a major eyesore, but a major safety hazard. That's right, isn't it, Marcus? Yeah, it was reported last week in The Age that it was a, a tragedy wait, waiting to happen, the SKM, uh, the glass stockpile there, which has been there for, I think, six months. But um, since you were last on the show, Sue, do you want to give the listeners an update of the uh, the activities and the, the achievements, I suppose, of ATWA, the Anti-Toxic Waste Alliance? Yeah, thanks, Marcus. Look, it's been a busy few months, I have to say. We've we were formed in late April, uh, sort of in the wake of the the horrible uh, fire in Campbellfield, the terrible um, fire at Bradbury Industrial Services, and it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back, I think, for the communities on the north and western side of Melbourne. And we just thought enough is enough, and uh, and so we've been busy. We've particularly focused our efforts on the government inquiry into recycling and waste management, putting some pretty compelling submissions and presentations to that. And uh, a delegation spoke at the, uh, at the community hearings earlier this month uh, for that inquiry. And what was really, I think, pleasing to see was that of the eight community representations that were made that day at the community hearings, four of them came from members of the Alliance and the Alliance itself. And we just, we now have got 36 members. As of yesterday, the Greenvale Residents Association joined us. We're growing. We've got a social media reach of over 42,000 members of the community. And um, we, we're not stopping until we get some serious and significant change because the thing, I guess, that I just... I was so incensed when I read the news report, Marcus. You know, this time last week, members of our alliance were reading, sharing and reading this news report about Glass Recovery Services, which, as you say, is run, it's run by the same people that run SKM Recycling right next door or ran it. And it was taken to Broadmeadows Magistrates Court last week by Hume City Council and described as a catastrophic fire risk like, you know, and, and the EPA has been slapping the bans on this 
this uh, site for months um, to stop them accepting combustible material, right? Because, you know, it's glass, but there's all this other stuff mixed in with it, paper, plastics. So it's just all mixed in. Glass out in the sun mixed in with combustible materials. Hello, you know, you don't have to be a scientist to know it's a disaster waiting to happen. On top of that, in court last week, uh, and you hope you don't, I'm just going to read some of this stuff, right? So the council officer is telling the magistrate in Broadmeadows to put the case to get an order to clean up this site, right? And he's saying that fire hydrants blocked by piles of glass and other waste, fire hoses that had fallen off the walls and blocked exits, mounds of unsorted rubbish inside warehouses, bulldozed several metres high. As you go through the photos, there are flammable and combustible materials everywhere in the buildings and around the buildings and stored to quite high levels. One fire hydrant hadn't been tested for years. You can see the fire hydrant cabinet is full of waste materials. I mean, it went on, and the more I read, the, uh, read this article, I just got so incensed because the date stamp on the photos that were tended to court was the 1st of March this year. So on the 1st of March this year, this was considered a catastrophic fire risk, and it's in court last week with an, trying to get an order for the people that are perpetrating it to clean up their own mess. So like, why has it gone on for so long? Why is it? Why have the regulators well, allowed it to go on for so long? Is there a, a lack of resources? Because the law is an arse, Marcus, because the rules and regulations and the laws we've got, right, you've got, you've got um, authorities like the EPA and WorkSafe, they, you know, they have to abide by the laws they've got. The council has to abide by the laws they've got. But guess what? Rogue operators don't abide by the laws. They don't give a damn about the laws. And it's like... Yeah, but, one... it, but you know, it's really interesting because there was also an article in the paper about SKM, which, of course, went into bankruptcy, and that the government has decided that they got, they've got some sort of plan, which will mean that uh, in five weeks' time... Uh, some people are going to be able to start collecting recycling uh, materials again in an orderly fashion. So how does that fit in? Oh, look, Annie, I, I have to say this issue is so big, it's hard to keep up with what's going on in it. You know what I mean? There's so many tentacles and so many elements to it. I certainly don't purport to know all of ins and outs of it. Uh, no, I suppose what yeah. I was thinking was that having SKM, which was a failed company, being the only uh, company that was dealing with recycled waste in the whole of Victoria, I mean, relying on one private company to deal with the whole issue of recycling just seems like the same problem as getting rid of waste, which is about to explode into an incendiary. Uh, look, and look, I, I know they had they had contracts with about 33 of the councils in Melbourne. They, there are other recycling companies out there, but but they were one of the I guess the bigger players. And um, and uh, but the thing that just gets me and in one breath, right? The EPA and, and they're calling these kinds of unreliable. They're they're licensed operators, but they're unreliable. Clearly, they've shown they've got no real no dis, no regard for the law. They call them rogue operators, these waste stockpilers. And in the other breath, they're giving them the responsibility for cleaning up their own mess. I mean, it's like taking out your life savings, giving it to a compulsive gambler for safekeeping. 
I mean, we all know how that's going to pan out. Like, it, it, there's just some real glaring gap. And I guess one of the things I would say about this as well, so six months that's been sitting there since those photos were taken that were tendered in court last, last week, and, you know, all these paper-pushing bureaucracy going around, serving compliance notices, but guess what? They're not responding. They're not doing it. No intervention, no direct intervention with people going in, government officers going in and making those fire, that, that place fire safe, forcing that work to be done. And in the meantime, it's sitting there like a potential incendiary device ready to go off and, and affect the community. I mean, in, the EPA said in a notice, in its, in its notification about its latest ban on them back in July, you know, um, you know EPA takes a zero-tolerance approach to non-compliance against the Victorian Waste Management Policy. Well, I don't know what dictionary they use, but zero-tolerance is not serving a piece of paper on someone that's shown again and again and again that they're not going to take any action on it, not when it's a catastrophic fire risk that puts the community at harm. And, and in the same note, uh, same news update, the EPA says a fire at the site has the potential to be a significant pollution event which could be harmful to local communities and the environment. And, and WorkSafe seems to be missing, missing in action too. Oh, I mean, workers being sent in into the factory are under, ex, under extreme danger. I mean, fire hydrants not working, smoke detectors covered recyclable material bloody stacked high and workers are sent to work in those those conditions day in day. It's a bloody war zone. Oh, Marcus, fire hydrants not checked for years. How can you have a zero tolerance approach and then be saying that fire hydrants haven't been checked for years in the site directly beside SKM Recycling Coolaroo that was the source of the 2017 fire that forced 100 homes to be evacuated? Yeah. Yeah, They've yeah. got a history of fires, SKM. And, a history of uh, fires. Mean, where's WorkSafe? They have all these yep. fancy ads about going to work and coming home safely. Workers being sent to these factories day in, day out, and being placed under these conditions that you, you wouldn't put a bloody dog in. It, 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 look, it's the workers are at risk, the residents are at risk. All Melburnians need to understand just how much our laws and our regulators are letting us down in this. We expect emergency response, and we're not talking about emergency response where they come in after the fact or when the fire's happening and all the the firefighters and and first responders, their lives are put at risk. We're not talking about emergency response to to give like happened in Coolaroo in 2017 where after people came back to their homes several days later, they were given a little domestic cleaning kit by the council and said, there you go, clean up this toxic soot out of your house. No, we're not talking about that sort of emergency response. We're talking about prevention, about going in, making sure that work's done, making sure that place is cleaned up and all those places are cleaned up, paying for it out of the stockpiled money in the sustainability fund or wherever that's sitting there, $500 million in the sustainability fund and they can't afford to go in and prevent these time bombs from going off. Instead, they'd rather pay money to clean it up after it's already happened. I mean, hello. I, I, I just, sorry, I, I get frustrated with this, as you can hear. I, I worked in the public service for many years. I find it staggering. I mean, I mean we're all frustrated that people in Broadmeadows especially are expected just to cop, to cop this shit year in, year out. I mean, why does it happen in, in Broadmeadows of all places where are the people seen as being lesser people? 
Well, the, the people look. The people on this side of Melbourne, Marcus. I, I live in the inner west, and you know we've got Brooklyn next to us. We've got we had the West Footscray fire, and then it was the first anniversary of that fire last year, and that was just yet another, just a building up. That's what kicked me, put me over the the edge when you know when I saw what happened in my neighbourhood to the, our local creek. And, of course, you've got Merlinston Creek running directly behind, just this perfect storm of things aligning. Merlinston Creek running directly behind Glass Recovery Services and SKM Coolaroo, and, and that goes right into the Yarra catchment. Uh, and, you know, and so what on earth is going on here? It's, it, it, we have to change the rules, but there's got to be some way, some way of intervening in these places and forcing that work to happen. They can't just say they've got a zero-tolerance policy that involves sticking a piece of paper under someone's nose. I mean, it doesn't even bother to turn up in court. It's all very well for these people to go into bankruptcy, but uh, isn't there any um, criminal action that can be brought against these people? There are criminal actions, and I know there are new laws that are being um, enacted. I think the bill was in Parliament this week, which is good to see. Look, I know that the EPA is having their powers strengthened and to be more preventative, but that's not happening until July next year. Based on the the history that we've got um, so far, there's probably two major fires that are going to happen. Between now and July next year, you know, is that what is that what we want to happen? Um, is it going to take? How many people are going to die before there's going to be decisive intervention on these sorts of issues? That's what we're all worried about. It's only a matter of time before another fire, and this time we won't be as lucky as we've been with, you know, like we were, you know, last year with West Footscray, where the where the toxic smoke was kept up. I mean, and I know I think I said that last time. I mean all but for the grace of, you know, the universe, that we're, we're alive. So if we look back event. at the parliamentary inquiry, Sue, mm. um, what outcomes does the Alliance hope to achieve out of the evidence uh, presented? Look, we, we really want to, I guess, help the authorities and the government understand that um, zero tolerance isn't about paper pushing and, and, and just, you know, sitting back and letting, pe- letting the rogue operators clean up their own messes. We want an emergency response that is preventative and doesn't wait until the damage has been done. So that's, that's one of the first things. And we want a, an enormous amount of effort put into reducing the amount of waste that's been created in the first place, into getting the whole recycling and waste management system actually adhering to the... Uh, the supposedly endorsed waste management hierarchy in this state, which basically means things like stockpiling and 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 you know and disposing things into landfill um, are at the bottom of the list, and at the top of the list, uh, making sure that we're not creating the waste in the first place. We want to see, um, but first and foremost, we want to see this treated like an emergency. We want to feel like we're getting. Immediate we should be on a a war footing in regards to waste. We want to see a war footing. It's going to take a war footing. And to be honest, we just really need to to have some confidence that our government and and the authorities are capable and willing to get on that footing. It needs it. And in response Um, to the tragedy waiting to happen, Sue, uh, the Alliance will lead its first rally today in Coolaroo in response to the issue. Yes. So 10.30 this morning outside 82 Mafra Street in Coolaroo, which is Glass Rec- Recovery Services, 
we will be holding our first rally. Um, we, we've had a week to organise it. We saw that article and we just thought, That's, this is it. There's no point waiting to take action in the streets when the next fire happens. We want to take action to hopefully prevent the next fire from happening. We ask anyone in the community that wants to come out at 10.30 this morning, we've, we've got the whole of the Coolaroo and Dallas communities mobilising, local schools mobilising. Um, we're going to be out there to, to send a strong message to this government and to the EPA Get off your ass and clean up this glass. <laughs> That's a good slogan. And there's going to be a <laughs> range know, Marcus, of. We might just be chanting that um, a bit later this morning, mightn't we, Marcus? Yeah, we've got a few chants, uh, a few chants lined up to fire the crowd up and to send, as you said, to send a strong message to the government, to the regulators, WorkSafe and the EPA, to, to as you said, get off their ass and clean up the glass. Because I mean, I mean, how many more? I mean, how many more fires are we going to have to cop? How many? Is it, is it going to come to the point where people are going to start dying because of these fires? I mean, it's time for action. Uh, this has gone on too long and uh, things need to change. And that's why we'll be rallying today at 10.30 uh, Mafra Street, Coolaroo at the uh, SKM uh, Glass Stockpile. If you want more information, just go to our Facebook page. And please go to our Facebook page anyway. It's the Anti-Toxic Waste Alliance. And you want people to wear black? Yeah, look... That's a very we, Melbourne we, colour. We, we, yeah, well, we thought it'd be pretty easy costume um, for Melburnians, but look, we really feel symbolically that um, wearing black is where well, we all know what we normally wear black to, and what we really fear is there if there isn't decisive action on these kinds of catastrophic fire risks in our communities, it won't just be protest rallies we're attending in the near future, and that's what really worries us. Thanks, Sue. Thanks, Sue. Wow. Children 
in the trees at night get no rest. They were there when the children were born. Well, let's hope you're all fired up now that we've uh, talked about the protest rally going on at Coolaroo at half past 10 today. Uh, There were a whole range of things that happened last night. There was the uh, John Cummins dinner and apparently uh, there were some interesting uh, uh, prizes awarded. Yeah, it was the annual John Cummins Memorial Dinner and the Victorian Union Awards last night at the Flemington Racecourse and the Chemist uh, Warehouse Workers, members of the National Union of Workers, the NUW, uh, they cleaned up at the awards. They won the best workplace campaign for their the 17-day strike they held back in about March, I think it was. So they won, yeah, the John Cummins Award for the best workplace campaign and they also won the Zelda Deprano Award for the uh, Women Activists Award for the women workers who stood oh, up for fantastic. the sexual harassment that was going on in that workplace, which right. uh, led to that strike and... Uh, to some clauses being inserted into their enterprise agreement. So, yeah. Congratulations. Well, under the chemist warehouse workers out there in Preston and Summerton, the members of the NUW, and they've, for the second year in a row, the NUW members have taken out the best workplace campaign. Good work. Yeah, good work. And uh, moving right along, uh, the Deliveroo riders in Geelong last night went on strike at starting at 6 o'clock. I think they went from 6 to 10. And uh, they they. Their dispute is around uh, their wages being cut again uh, to $6 a delivery, which is just not a livable wage. And uh, they reckon that uh, if people would uh, get on board to their megaphone uh, 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 petition, that uh, del- they know that Deliveroo are po- paying attention to their petition uh, they want some uh, momentum towards a $10 per delivery uh, and they're asking for some security and transparency. So support the young workers in Geelong. Uh, the, there's also AI Glass, which is a, an ongoing dispute out at Spotswood. Uh, they're calling for support. There's a regular stop work on Fridays at 7am to 11am uh, outside the factory, and uh, this is in support of the ETU and AMWU maintenance workers at this factory. So if you're around Spotswood at, at that time, they'd love you to give them some support. You can look it up, the uh, AI Glass. It used to be ASI Glass. This has been going on for quite a while. Uh, we did report that uh, a, a OI Glass decided that they were going to bring in workers from South Australia in order to cover the shortfall. But uh, um, that's, uh, 
you know, they could actually just uh, give them uh, decent wages and conditions. So there you go. Um, also important today is a rally two to four on the steps of Victoria Library, the State Library. Uh, it's around the uh, mooted draft religious discrimination bill, uh, which has been called Taking Australia Back to the Dark Ages by Amnesty International. A spokesman has put, put out a, a release saying uh, today's draft religious d- uh, discrimination bill is a licence for religious groups to use their beliefs to condemn and attack people, groups in the community. Prime Minister Morrison should be ashamed of this piece of legislation that takes Australia back to the dark ages by vilifying women, LGBTQ plus people and people of colour and others. So, well, others equals the whole community, isn't it? All these little groups of people, well, they're not that little really, when you put them all together, they turn out to be the entire community, Marcus. Oh, this uh, Liberal <laughs> National Government appears to be nothing more than a bunch of Neanderthals stuck in the dark <laughs> ages and they want to drag us back into the, those sort of times. Yes, yeah, screaming it's not the Australia and we shouting. Know. <laughs> Yeah, well, Ali uh, Hogg and Ros Ward are part of the convening committee that have uh, called the rally outside the uh, library today at two to four, um, just days after the momentous victory for a marriage equality, they say, in November 2017, in an attempt to appease the Liberal Party's religious right. Then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull announced a review into religious freedoms. Although the review found little evidence of anti-Christian discrimination, it did reveal that religious schools enjoy the right to expel or exclude children and fire staff on the basis of their gender identity, sexuality and marital status. In fact, a host of exemptions from Australia's anti-discrimination laws allow religious organisations to turn LGBTI plus people away from essential public services, including hospitals, housing and aged care and disability support. Now, they're calling on people to make it a loud declaration that this is just not OK in Australia of today. Anyway... There are a few items of interest for everybody. Uh, We're going to uh, move on to uh, talk about Witness K, which is another issue regarding uh, the... um, regarding the uh, police state that we appear to be descending into. But before we do, some important announcements. Uh, 3CR still has to make $18,000... So, yeah, dig deep, listeners. Uh, pay up your pledge if you haven't already, or it's not too late to donate. Nine four one nine eight three. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to.
Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Council have a Footscray Park master plan. A part of it is to hand over public land. So Melbourne Victory build a soccer academy. To say it's disuse and passive is a reality. A large part of the park is gonna be lost. Given to a private company for no cost. The precious floodplains, what they will be leasing. Less spaces, our population's increasing. The park's for the people, not for profit, thank you. Locals pay rent, but Melbourne Victory won't have to. The second richest sports team in the country. Why should they get public land for free? Three soccer fields are what they want to introduce. The Western Lawn would mainly be for private use. A beautiful view is what they're going to spoil. A hybrid toxic turf won't be good for the soil. They want to build ten floodlight towers there. Now it's a place only a select few can share. Council said the land was disused, that isn't fair. They're the ones that left it in a state of disrepair. The grounds don't get used, we see through the lies. Cause how can a view be underutilized? Some kids don't play sport and go for the serenity. So they'll be excluded from this great amenity. Losing the space for many will be devastating. Where will the open space be for future generations? Council should live up to people's expectations and protect one of Footscray's only open spaces. News of reckon the park is hard to hear. It's been around for over a hundred years. It was built by the people of Footscray. Don't take the natural beauty of it away. This land should never be up for grabs. One of the biggest Edwardian parks this country has. So to mess it up would be twisted. Footscray Park is heritage listed. They want to give a corporate sports team tenancy. Having no social conscious is not right ethically. Council member Stephen Wall, don't leave us saddened. You said if people don't want this, it won't happen. Out here in the city of Maribyrnong, there is already so much sport going on. How will people feel when the stunning view is gone? Go to safefootscrapepark.com. That was a giddy rally outside the uh, Footscray Town Hall, I'll have to say. Yeah, to save public space for, yeah, in uh, defence against Melbourne Victory's plan, was it, to turn it into an elite uh, sporting complex? I know, outrageous stuff. Uh, But now we're going to talk to uh, Sister Susan Connolly. G'day, Susan. 
Hello there, Annie. Yeah, and we're going to talk about Witness K and what's been going on uh, in our our developing police state. Can you give us some background to uh, the Witness K issue? Yes, yes, I I, I can indeed. Uh, Look, um, Witness K and Bernard Caleri are under prosecution for allegedly making known Australian secrets to a foreign power. Now, I mean, doesn't it sound so terrible? What these men did uh, was to be involved in the uh, 2004-2006 spying on Timor. Now, Bernard wasn't involved in that, but Witness K was. He was the Australia's... Uh, he's one of Australia's top spies, and he was involved in the actual bugging of the cabinet officers of the Prime Minister's residence and offices in Dilley between 2004 and 2006. Now, what makes this terribly horrendous for all Australians is that this spying operation was conducted under the guise of an OSAID program. I know, isn't outrageous? It is, really. uh, And it's become one of the running sores in uh, uh, another running saw in the relationship between Australia and and East Timor. Now, um, these me- the the upshot of the revelation uh, that Witness K made when he came back to Australia and found that Alexander Downer, the foreign minister who had ordered the spying, was then lobbying for Woodside, That's right. the oil company that was going to make the most money out of this deal. Australian he secrets or corporate up. secrets? Oh, it's, yes, terrible. Oh, but we, went, we, we must do everything, no matter how immoral or illegal or fraudulent, to ensure the profits to our companies. That's the basic underline. That's what Alexander has come back and said. Of course, of course I will, I will, I will do anything for the uh, Australian companies. Like, it comes back to the, to, to the dollar the whole time. Now, look, just in the last couple of days, um, I, the, 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 a couple of things have stood out. Look, if your listeners have seen the sight of Shirley Shackleton, a Victorian, 87 years old, racing after Scott Morrison up in Dilly with thousands of Timorese signatures on a petition. Now, that petition was asking for an end to the case against Witness K and Bernard Caleri. And thousands of Australians have also signed petitions, rung in to the Attorney-General and to the Prime Minister to say, stop this. And, I mean, what these men have done is tell the truth about an Australian deceit committed against a small, impoverished um, um, neighbour. It, it's uh, it's become a mantra of this particular government. I don't know if it's the same as, as all Australian governments, but it's been a mantra of this government to say that we are using the law to bolster up our ability to do illegal acts. Yes, of course, they won't come out and say that, but you're absolutely right because that is what is at the heart of it. And, you know, um, the basic underlying thing that... That is awful to really admit is that we are really a very fearful people. Australians are very, very fearful. And I mean, in a sense, you can understand, we have an indefensible coastline. We have a huge landmass. We also have an um, unadmitted bloody history. 
say that again and missed that. We've Sorry. got an an un uh, generally unadmitted bloody history. So when you perpetrate uh, uh, th- thievery and uh, murder, you yes. expect other people to do that to yours to you. You're absolutely right. It does go back to our foundational relationship, which we have never really got right yet with our Indigenous peoples. And it goes on today, the, the uh, resource theft, which goes on today from the Indigenous people and resource theft is what's happening in, in Timor with uh, Woodside, as you mentioned before. The, exactly, exactly. And uh, yes, it comes down to money and it comes down to fear and that has led our governments right from off with them. Every single Prime Minister is involved in this. It's come to the fact that we have been greedy, deceitful and fearful. Now that goes against the image that we talk about ourselves and there's a lot of truth in our image. We've done wonderful things. I love being an Australian. I talk, I mean, we love our country. I love my country and that's why it makes me very fearful and angry and frustrated when I see that uh, the people, the ordinary people who get out on the streets and write letters and all that, they are doing... So many Australians are working tooth and nail for Timor, even after 20 years. All the groups, look at all the local government groups in Victoria. Fantastic. Wonderful stuff going on in every state. Yet the, the people are doing what governments have never done. Now, now let's, the, can we get yes. back to Witness K? Now, yes. I know that Witness K, was, like you said, he was a, 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 a highly placed ASIO man. And what he discovered when he came back to Australia was, as you said, the culture of his organisation had changed in his view from one that was actually protecting Australia's interests to actually protecting the interests of a much smaller commercial element within the... It it was changing the uh, uh, definition of Australian interests. Yes, and um, yes, you're correct. Now, it's actually ACES that he was working for, Ah, the Australian Security Intelligence Services, but that's all right. It was ASIO that raided his office and took his passport, and they've still got it six years ago, but now you're correct in that, and this is where the point about the plethora of legislation that has gone through the Parliament since 2001 have have compounded this problem. We've got so much national security legislation. Now, you know, we've got to have national security, of course, but where it is used, as you say, for bolstering up our corporate interests And unfortunately, some pieces of legislation have gone through which actually allow ACES to spy for economic purposes. I mean, it's terrible. This is where where the law should be properly, properly really looked at. So here we've got government and opposition that are allowing this stuff to go through. And so much power then is put in the hands of these clandestine groups that are supposed to be looking after us and what they're doing is actually opening us to international ridicule and, in essence, weakening what we what laws are supposed to be doing, which is protecting the people. So um, Witness K, now it, he's called Witness, I mean, we know it's a man, Witness K is uh, because it's all terribly secret. It's all cloak and dagger stuff, isn't it? 
Well, it is. And, of course, it's very important that his identity not be known because um, he is a, an, an, he has been an important person, I believe, in the Australian spying, because uh, every country spies. And if his identity was made known, it could open up um, uh, grave dangers for other people. It would make other countries question, well, you know, he was here in our country, so what was he doing when he was here? So, I mean, it's very important for all of us. I don't know who Witness K is. I will never know. I do not want to know. So that is important. So there are, I mean, governments have to act secretly in certain circumstances. But what is really frightening is where the that that element of secrecy it now is is being put on the whole conduct of the case against Bernard Caleri and Witness K as though this is protecting national security. It has nothing to do with national security. Was Timor going to invade us? I mean, really. It's 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 using it's using proper legislation to cover up government fraud. Now the um the actual case against Witness K and uh, Brian Kaliri, um, what where where are they at? I mean, what what are they being charged with? Um, uh, well, Witness K has been charged, as I understand it. Well, see the. This is the stupidity of it, which bears out what I've just said about secrecy. Uh, up until very recently, and maybe even up until now, I'm just not sure of this detail, neither man or their lawyers have been given the full brief of evidence against them. Uh. Uh, Bernard Collieri, because he is he was Witness K's lawyer... Now, yeah. I'll, I'll get to that. I'll just go back on that story. Once Witness K found out what was being done, uh, that, that Alexander Downer and others, Aston Calvert, were responsible for this and now were both lobbying for Woodside. He said he couldn't work this anymore. Now, um, technically, he's not a whistleblower because he went to his superiors. He used all the protocols of ACES. And they said to him, well, you better get a lawyer. And here's a list of approved lawyers. And Bernard Collieri was on that list. And he went. He approached Bernard Collieri, who in the because it was a it was he he was actually uh, he was it was a work case, wasn't it? Yes. It was he, he was actually going to his superior, not so. It was about his working conditions. Yes, and that that's what it was of, about. Well, well, it was the change of culture as well. Yeah, he, but but he needed well, a lawyer because he want he had to argue a case for his own uh, retirement and his own conditions and uh, security of work, wasn't it? Well, as I understand it, yes, that is, that is correct. That's what's so in, bizarre in, is. Yes, and in the, in the discussions about that, of course, the, this change of culture, as it were, uh, bolstered by the new laws that had come in, uh, were, gave um, uh, so the talk was, between them, of course, they would have to talk about what did this change of culture con- uh, constitute, and the um, the matters of the spying would come out. Now, look, we need to be careful here because it's very easy for people like me or you or anybody else to be putting words on something that we don't know the whole uh, um, truth about. I don't know actually what transpired. It, this is one of the, the and this is gets to the nub of the problem. It's the really, who does 
decides what's in the national interest. I believe it's in the public's interest to know as much about this as possible because this is not only about these two men. If, if laws can be used against people to cover up what government has done, because that's the big one, you know, whatever about Witness K's employment, the big thing is that Australia was attempting to defraud a trading partner. So, I mean, that's that's the big thing. Oh, now, yeah, if yeah, this yeah. is successful against these men, like, who else is say? What, what hope is some poor Indigenous person or, or asylum seeker or, or anybody else or me or you? What, what, what um, protections have we got? Who will protect us from the protectors if the protectors are using the laws that are supposed to protect us in order to cover up Goodness me! You just you just entered into Franz Kafka's trial. Oh yes, <laughs> well, this is so true. Yes, this, but I mean that's that's been uh, what is it? Quiz custodiat ipsos custodes. That's from the poet Juvenile, who is, and also it was quoted by Cicero. I mean, this is nothing new. This is human nature. But this is human nature, and this is why we've got to just keep an eye all the time. Look, well, I you think- know, it's funny you say that because I was thinking about I've, over the week. I've been thinking about uh, why is the right called the right? Uh, they should be called the wrong. The wrong. Yeah, that's what Marcus <laughs> said. They should be called the wrong. And then I started to play around in my the Liberal Party aren't the Liberals. They're the greedy, greedy pig party. <laughs> yes, yes. And then at the same time, there's, there's like I mean, there's really good people. On, in all the systems, it's where yeah, you let the system, you know, really override you. And look, we've got such a wonderful system here. Look at what we've got. Inherited from the British, let us be truthful. We didn't invent our this system. Oh, well, they, they collected it up from the Vikings. So, you know, everything's got, got its... Um, there's there's uh, more to to every historical discussion, but um, tell me what's at stake for Witness K and Brian, uh, Brian Cleary because they're obviously being incredibly brave for our personal our interests. Everybody, the whole community is actually uh, indebted to them for the pain and tribulation that they're going through. What could actually happen to them? Two years jail. Mm-hmm. That's could that could happen. Two years jail, plus the loss of livelihood. Like Bernard is not allowed, he really can't operate as the top lawyer that he is. He's doing a bit of conveyancing, I mean, honestly. Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, uh, the the personal pressure on family, uh, on themselves, and uh, I believe that uh, that is what is behind the latest move of Witness K. He's uh, going to plead guilty. Only, only if the facts are agreed on between the uh, his lawyers and the prosecution. And I believe that it's got something to do with the affidavit that he was willing to um, make uh, at the Hague, where after the uh, revelation of the spying came out, he was ready to go to the Hague because Timor had taken Australia to the international court. ASIO raids his. Um, home and takes his passport and he was not able to go. Uh-huh. So I, I believe that this latest guilty plea is not as you know broad as Christian Porter likes to paint it. It's only uh, uh, um, 
concerning what is it, whatever it is that's in the affidavit, which I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they apply enormous amounts of pressure and then they change history in order to fit their their uh, storyline, their narrative. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Now Bernard you guys, you, you, you're you're part of you're part of a whole. Uh, oh, you say Bernard's fighting on. You, now you you're part of a whole group of people who have been applying themselves to coming up with as many ways as possible to bring this to the public attention. Can you tell yes. us some of the things that have been going on? Yes, but I just want to make it clear that it's not some great bureaucracy that's working here. Mm. Some person has put up a a petition on change.org. I hope your listeners would perhaps get to their internet after this. And I don't know who this person is, but all I can say, good on you. Because we've got (laughs) over 30,000 signatures in four days. I mean, that's fantastic. People just rise up because they realise that the attack on these men is an attack on everyone. So therefore, we've got to really open our eyes and see what's going on. Amid all the many issues facing Australians, this is a very serious one. This is eroding. This is eroding our freedom. This is eroding the whole concepts of decency and truth-telling that should be at the basis of every every nation. So we, we've got to, you know, do this. So the, uh, uh, there's no great group, there's no website, there's no, you know, we, I know some people, but then there are other people doing other stuff and the more we do it, the better. You were in Canberra outside the court at one stage. Yes, yes. I went down the last um, four um, on the... Um, uh, oh, there have been so many... There have been so many hearings that mm. uh, it's hard to keep up with just exactly where it's been the last two. And see, this the continual delay and postponed, this is justice delayed, is justice denied to these men. Now, they're facing uh, more hearings. I think Bernard on the 26th of September, Witness K on the 13th of September, then Bernard again on the 11th of December to decide on the how the case is going to operate because it's going to the ACT Supreme Court, Bernard's case is, uh, and it will be before a jury. So, oh, um, before a jury? Yes. yes Won't yes. they have to kill them afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I'm just... You know, we we just have faith again in the in the good Australian people who um, will look at this and and consider it carefully. But is Bernard being charged with um, saying something out of turn or something? He, yes, he's been charged with um, talking publicly about it. Yes. Okay. Uh, look, one of the one of the slightly amusing things is that. Um, um, certain ABC journalists have been named as people that he has talked to, but he also talked to a News Corp journalist who was not named. Oh, so, I mean, interesting. that's rather curious, I'd say. Yeah. Anyway, we've got to move on. Thank you very yes. much for talking to us about this. Well, thank you for the interest, and I hope your readers look look up. There's plenty of stuff around in the... Um, in, in, on the internet and about what's happening in Dili, etc. And think about it and let's get behind these two men and let's do the decent Australian thing and get this case dropped. It should be dropped. And the Attorney-General, Christian Ford... Oh, he should be dropped too. Well, well, maybe. But before he goes, let him use the power he already has. He has the power to discontinue this case now. And no national security legislation 
overrides that power. Now, uh, that is That's interesting true. in itself. Yep. Okay, thanks very much. Good. Thanks a lot. Thanks. All the best. Okay, bye. A weak solidarity, Becky team listener, when thanks to US of the UN of the US of the world, big supremo Donald Trump or the poor, the G7, the filthy rich of the filthy rich of the world talk fest, failed to issue a final communique on climate change, if there is. Well, in fact, on anything, as Donald announced separately that he believed in exploiting the financial benefits of fossils while ensuring the US of has the cleanest air and the cleanest water in the whole world. And he knew more about climate change than almost everyone else in the whole world. Modest Donald, more than almost anybody. The fossils rode to the, to the world's cleanest air and cleanest water. But the others, the G6, said he didn't understand how to address the issue. Expressing concern and the need for doing something doesn't mean you have to do something, do anything, and it allows you to express the same concern and need to do something at the next filthy rich of the filthy rich of the world talk fest. Speaking of the profits in fossils, Donald expressed his deep personal concern for the population of Greenland, the 52nd state, by offering to buy the place off Denmark, an incredibly generous offer. No relation whatever to getting US of hands on all those lovely, lovely resources being liberated by the melting ice and melting permafrost. A perfect circle. The corporate fossils create the melting, then take advantage of it so they can assist the whole world to have energy and poor Donald was quite properly upset when Denmark not only knocked back his offer but described it as absurd. How disrespectful can you get? So disrespectful, Donald was forced to cancel a state visit to Denmark and we all know Donald isn't easily upset by ignoramuses who disagree with him. As Donald offers and Denmark declines, wonder what the Greenland population itself thinks of the whole thing. Standing in the back row at the G7 group photo, Big Supremo scuttled them more lash than was the talk of the world leaders, even if not by name. Uh, who's he? They all asked. He was seen walking down a staircase chatting with Donald, and wouldn't that have been in-depth stuff? Uh, did you offer to buy True Blue Aussie? We asked Donald. Don't be stupid. We don't have to. They are, of course, partners in the great coalition Donald is putting together to liberate evil, evil Iran, or, sorry, protect shipping and the world's fossils from evil, evil Iran, and my, hasn't the world leapt to the cause? But sadly, we can no longer celebrate the reunion, well, the continuation of, the coalition of the killing, which has done and is doing so much to then-evil Afghanistan and Iraq. The US of Her Most Gracious Majesty's home country and True Blue Aussie reliving the Crusades. For now, it's the US of commanding Her Most Gracious Majesty's home country, True Blue Aussie and Bahrain showing there are a hundred and something gutless nations not prepared to take up the crusade against evil. That must prickle poor Donald so much. Less evil, evil, evil Iran, because we wouldn't expect it to uh, join a coalition to attack itself. So now world peace hangs on the coalition of the killing plus Bahrain.
And the US of Donald himself will host the next G7 Filthy Rich of the World Talk Fest and so generous is Donald, he's offered to hold the event at one of his own luxury resorts while declaring he wouldn't be making any money out of it. So, so, so who will? Maybe his brilliant daughter and brilliant son-in-law. Money. Sometimes we wonder why people spend money on research when the answer is obvious. I recall years ago a research study on the amount of salt people add to their food which concluded after presumably several thousands of academic dollars the amount depends on the size of the holes in the salt shaker. We could have told them that and saved thousands. Well, the corporate regulator has commissioned a report into financial advisors following the, the odd criticism at the Hermos Grace's Majesty's Commission, and the headline in the True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review sums up the result. Financial advisors, too expensive and can't be trusted. And a long report emphasising all that. Gee, we'd never have thought. Next time, give me the money and I'll knock up the report in half an hour. Phil Gachin's real name, because if I gave him a, a week that was name, you'd have no idea who I'm talking about, is a former advisor to caring business class party ministers like treasurers and big supremos, and then a corporate high flyer who's so talented he was plucked back from the private sector to head treasury a year or so ago. And on Monday, he takes over his new job as head of the big supremo and cabinet department, the highest public servant in the country. A man of great knowledge who believes in, well, in everything those who understand the delicate flower that is the economy believe in. The caring business class team and the sundry chambers of profits and, to be honest, the Socialist Party, which now agrees with everything the caring business class party believes in. For example, Phil says the current tax cut should not be the end of tax cuts. Uh, what's that noise? Oh, that's the sundry chambers of profits cheering in the background. An energy policy must depend on coal because that will keep prices down like it's been keeping prices down for years. Oh, listen again. Oh, it's the great corporate fossils cheering. And similar progressive ideas, if they could be called, called and he says he would like to be judged on, on his record. He'd like to be judged on his record. And good news for Phil, we can assure him he will be. Well, is being, because even two days before he moves into his office, we can already pass judgment. In his new neutral, independent, free and frank and fearless advice position, Phil says it will be a luxury to have a big supremo who will serve three years. wonder if he would have said that had the election gone the other way. Not that it matters, because he wouldn't have got the job in the first place. Although, the, the way the socialists are going, we, we can't guarantee that. On Caring Business Class Party appointments from independent sources like the Caring Business Class Party and the Caring Employers, good news again. The appointment of the past 20 or 30, I've lost track, appointments to the Fair Work True Blue Aussie No Longer Work Choices Just Looks Like It commission from Caring Employer Ranks, an attempt to bring a, a bit of balance to the bench, is bearing fruit. The bringing a bit of balance lot are discovering there are more ways than one to interpret the boot test, the better off overall test in its legislation. One interpretation being, give the workers the boot. 
For instance, Deputy President Cross, a, a mood we assume brought on by lazy avaricious workers, has ruled that an employer writing to its workers that unless they sign a non-union agreement which reduces casual loadings to sub-award levels, cuts hourly rates for first-year apprentices roughly from stuff all to even less stuff all, below-award meal and tool allowances and removes some allowances altogether, the business will close down and they'll all be on the scrap heap is not a breach of good faith bargaining, which the ETU, the Electrical Trade Union, argued after DDP, Electrical Services, broke 15 years of union agreements. Sensibly and obviously, Deputy President Cross ruled they had a choice between a union and non-union agreement, and the caring employer telling the workers they'd lose their jobs if they supported the union agreement was the caring employer displaying good faith. DDP clearly made a forceful expression of their choice of participants in the agreement if the word agree could apply, although it's more a choice of who should not be a participant. And then Deputy President Bull, a name that reflects his decision, approved an agreement by A1 Earthworks Mining and Civil that slashed award rates, with roster changes demanded by the caring employer costing workers between $78 and $160 a week, which Deputy President Bull ruled clearly met the better off overall test, and despite that the bloody ungrateful CFMEU, well we know how evil it is, questioned whether the neutral unbiased commissioners were supporting other underpaying deals. In this case the union appealed and even the stacked or sorry better balanced full bench thought the agreement did leave a, a bit to be desired in the better off overall test the boot department leading that great supporter of workers of jobs 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 the true blue Aussie mines and metals profits association to seek a review of evil union intervention in these matters a significant and growing problem it gasped unions are sidelining terms and conditions agreed between employers and employees to pursue their own interests. Oh, selfish, selfish unions. Pursuing their own interests would be the last thing caring employers would have in mind when offering their workers a choice of sign or else. As Deputy Cross would say, that gives them a choice. One of the neutral, unbiased sources of fair work True Blue Aussie no longer commission appointments, the Business Profits Council of True Blue Aussie, has hit back at activist campaigns claiming, how ludicrous is this, that the Business Profits Council is blocking attempts to address climate change if there is. The council told institutional investors it supports strong action on climate change. And I'm hoping finally, listener, you can answer a question for me. We support strong action on climate change combined with solutions to curtail the rapid growth in energy costs and measures to improve the reliability of electricity supply, a pragmatic approach to a global issue. The transition should take place at the lowest possible cost to ensure our living standard is not put at risk. True Blue Aussie businesses and households must have access to energy that remains reliable, secure and affordable.
Now, my question, which bit of that is strong action on climate change? Coal comfort. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. This is uh, Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Marcus. And uh, on the line, we've got uh, Humphrey McQueen. G'day, Humphrey. I'm really looking forward to your, uh, your conversation today. It's about artificial intelligence. Yeah, well, it's really... A- well, as you know, it's supposed to be about artificial intelligence, but the report we're looking at has led me to rather suspect that what we're going to be looking at, that AI stands for absolute ignorance. <laughs> and what we're looking at is a report from something that calls itself the John Curtin Research Centre. Um, now, this organisation operates out of Melbourne, but it's obviously designed to influence the whole of the Labor movement. Um, it's, it's not centred at the John Curtin Hotel then? <laughs> nor is it centred in the big university, John Curtin Centre in the Univer- and Curtin University in Western Australia. It is neither yeah. of those things. I think, actually, I think its centre of gravity might be somewhere else, but, the, but our listeners will get a bit of evidence and they can dis- make decisions for themselves. Um, now, as I said, why it's important? I mean, if it were just the report itself, it is so woeful that you wouldn't pay attention to it. But because of how it is positioned, and if you look at the the board of governors, if you like, the people on the board, you know, it's got Kim Carr, all the people who are supposedly in the ALP and, you know, the head, uh, president, national president of the AMWU, um, people who for whom these questions of artificial intelligence and the other half of the report's title is The Future of Work. Yeah. Now, yeah. we had a discussion about that uh, some time ago, and we'll, right. and we'll certainly do some more. So it is a very important issue. And if they're getting... If this is the level and the kind of stuff that's being fed to them, and I fear it's probably what they want to hear because it is nice and safe, as we'll see um, as we proceed along. Um, so... There's, you know, and going to the other problems I think that is based in the report is that it doesn't give any weight at all to the fact that what we've constantly been told these days is that rules-based order, i.e. what the Americans want, um, that the rules-based order is actually gamed against the, the mild suggestions they have in the report that, oh, if the government here got involved and active, we could actually do something to beat off these foreign corporations that are taking control, like, you know, as indeed they are, Facebook and Apple and all of those things, and Microsoft, the evil old Microsoft. Um, but they don't see it all. There's no mention of those uh, trade treaty organisations, the, the partnerships that we're supposed to get signed up to, um, where there, if a government here does anything to control those corporations, well, the corporations take us to court, as we saw over the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, and they're very specific about uh, putting those clauses in and they also want to make sure that uh, workers aren't unproductive because of <laughs> OH&S and safety. Oh, everything, everything. And there is no mention of that side of how the international trade game is played. And if our listeners really want to know uh, the best bit of that, and you should get him on to talk anyway, Clinton Fernandez's new book, um, What Uncle Sam Wants. What Clinton's done, and I mean, this is truly amazing. 
He's read more than half of the pages of all of the WikiLeaks documents. Hoy. I know. It's unbelievable. Only, only Clinton could do it. But you talk to him and you'll find out about that. But it's, you know, it's really something. Um, anyway, now let's have a look at the author, because I think that might tell us something, who is the lead author of this, Alan Slonan. Now, I don't want to say anything about him except what he says about himself. So this will take a minute. So I'll read his own statement about himself. <clears throat> Adam Slonan is an adjunct fellow of Victoria University in Melbourne, teaching cultural intelligence, managing director of the Blended Learning Group, specialising in emotional intelligence training and development, director of VORAI Systems bringing artificial intelligence into the workplace, co-convener of the Australia-Israel Labor Dialogue, secretary of the John Curtin Research Centre. Adam is a regular contributor to the Times of Israel and the Spectator Australia magazine. Adam has been involved in a number of startups focused on Israel technology and innovation. Well, you can make of that self-portrait what you will, but this little tar baby saying nothing. Yeah. Um, except I felt it my duty to the listener to see what it is that Sloanham might do as a director of VORAI, bringing artificial intelligence into the workplace. So, again, I'll report this without any comment. I have a little difficulty believing what I think I found. I went online the way one is supposed to with artificial intelligence. <laughs> and according to the web, would you like to make a guess at the market valuation of VORAI? Well, I've got it written in front of me I and I find have. it a bit Can weird. Can you believe it? Mm. You say it. $8.95 at a daily income of 15 cents. I mean, I did... What does that mean? Well, but it... <laughs> well... We know what it means. We just think, how could anyone be so silly as to put it in their in their in their, in their, uh, in, in their CV? As to no, say no, but was, also you know, obviously they, they don't expect anybody to look at look at it. Up. No, well, I, I mean, I don't, well, it's just it is bizarre. I mean, even even with our poor old Uber friends who went for one hundred and twenty billion and only got sixty. I mean, it's a long way between eight dollars ninety five and sixty billion dollars. <laughs> so anyway. That's the first bit. Now, um, let's look at some of the information they're supposedly putting out to us. Now, this is about artificial intelligence and what they call uh, the the Industrial Revolution 4.0. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's right. It's all called 4.0, yeah. the new way. And also, so now you're going to talk about how they develop their argument. Well, they caught about there's this thing on page six where we say, and I'm just going to read again this little sentence, the invention of the steam engine by the Scottish mechanical engineer James Watt in 1776 is another good example. Well, indeed, it is a good example of a schoolboy howler. It's a bit of ignorance that, I don't know, does it come out of Slonim's cultural intelligence or his emotional intelligence or his blended learning? Um... I mean, I'm a bit 
but inclined to think that it's probably further evidence that such mindfulness should be synonymous with brainlessness. Because you happen to be a historian, don't you? <laughs> well, I do, but, I mean, you don't have to know. I mean, it's been a long time since anyone uh, who knew anything about it thought that what invented the steam engine in 1776. I mean, I don't know when that was last in the school textbook. I don't, I don't want to think about that in case it's still there somewhere. But, you know, that's the kind of area which you would get. The fact of the matter is that Thomas Savory made the first steam engine of the modern era in 1698, about 80 years before they claim. And James right. Watt's first real contribution because he was playing with the engines that already existed, he didn't invent one, was in 1784, when what he did was to add what is called a reciprocating arm. So instead of just being able to get power to go up and down and pump water out of a coal mine, he was able to put an arm on it, and so while the pistons went up and down, they could, uh, they could divert the power at, at a right angle to it, yeah. so you could then operate a piece of machinery. That's, right. that's the beginning of that application. but Capitalisation on the invention. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I mean, this is somebody who's supposedly the great expert on, 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 on bringing machinery into workplaces. He doesn't even know the fundamental fact about the steam engine. Later in the year, because the steam engine is so important in the way in which people talk about all kinds of things, um, I think we should do a whole session. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. They should, they should go on. further back and talk about horsepower and how that's been used to describe um, mechanical... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. anyway. Well, you know, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll put that off that's an aside. sometime later in the year, the next time around. Then, of course, the next thing we get is the usual slander against the Luddites. Uh, now, this boss-class propaganda, you know, it's... This is widespread. This is not just a schoolboy howler. This is everywhere. Yeah, this is just supposed to take so taken for granted, yeah. You know, they were so stupid that they thought if they smashed the machines, they would have jobs forever. Now, again, this is, you know, too long to go into now. That's not what the... The, that's not what they thought, that's not what they did at all. What they knew was that the machines were the property of the boss, and if they smashed them, they were hurting the boss. So it was a form of very early industrial process. Before there was a socialist movement, before there were trade unions, this was the way in which they were They got the hammer out. Well, they not only smashed the machines, they smashed the bosses. And, I mean, again, we can't go into it in great detail now, but if you want to, I can send you a lot of detailed stuff. And, of course, it goes back for 100 years before 1812. It didn't start in 1812, which is when people talk about it. Um, it's a whole tradition. Um, yeah, anyway, but so they just repeat this Bosch class slander. You know, the stupid old worker, you know, and so it's used against people today who say, but... Is this the best way to proceed? You say, oh, you're just a Luddite. Yeah, yeah, and the, it's, it's, as you say, uh, that current fears about job losses down, uh, are put down to ill-informed opinion. Well, if there's any ill-informed opinion, we know in this case where it's coming from. Well, now we see the rise of, of automation with yeah, the major uh, supermarket chain going down the uh, path of, of automation in their warehouses in Melbourne and um, Sydney. I mean... Sure, it's not not economical sense, is it, for robots to replace workers? 
Well, I mean, it's, it's again, Marcus. It's, it depends who this sense is for. I mean, these are these are not abstract questions. These are always class questions. In whose interest is it to do these things? Um, and that's, in a sense, what the machine breakers were saying. Okay, um, you're introducing these machines to improve your situation. What about us? Um, but now what we're being told, and have been for you know a couple of hundred years, is oh the machine is just a good thing, and it's kind of it, it's a, it's a kind of neutral object, and it's it's synonymous with progress. Oh, that's the other thing. Yes, indeed, and you know you're just standing in the way of progress. Um, well, it reminds me of the the Henry Ford story when he invited the union official over in America into his uh, newly automated factory, and he uh, grinned at the union official and said. Uh, Robots won't pay union dues, and the union official quickly uh, replied, "They uh, robots can't buy your cars." Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. And of course, to get anyone to work in those factories, he had to pay five dollars a day. I mean, this was, you know, eventually people simply, and this was part of it. Anyway, look, yeah, we're we, diverting. We, we could have had to go on from here. Go on, um, but you know. <laughs> We've touched on the ignorance of this and the class bias in it. Um, there is the higher, you know, there's, a, there's also a kind of level of true banality about many of the statements we find. So that, you know, the report opens with a sentence that says, artificial intelligence is here and is having a major impact on the jobs market and how we will all work. Well, yeah, I suppose the only thing I could say in favour of that is that compared to what John Brumby says in his role as chair of the Centre for Workplace Leadership, just just cop this for a load of banality. We all know the workplace is changing. And one of the big drivers is because the world itself is changing so profoundly. Now, well, I can think of... Why didn't I think of that? Hmm. I mean, this is the kind of path that you get fed when you really need tight, well-informed, detailed analysis. And these people, you know, God knows how much Brumby's drawing in this other job that he had. Anyway, on we go. There's no, um, you know, we're talking a bit about mathematical skill. Um, there are no, there's no algebra. You'll all be pleased to hear in it. I think algebra might be a bit beyond them, actually. But normally in these kind of reports, they throw in a bit of algebra to make it look as if it's scientific. What we do have are a couple of wonderful graphs. Um, we haven't got, perhaps, well, I mean, one of them, and I'm puzzled by why it's there. We've got a, a graph uh, that tells us what the wheat prices have been since the Middle Ages. <laughs> No mention, and it tells us, I mean, I think the point is that the price of wheat trended downwards from the 1940s onwards. And this is put down to automation of farms, which may well be the case. But there's no mention in this Pollyanna view of the world of Monsanto or of the four big global oligopolies that control and direct the grain trade. Mm. Again, the notion that this is an open market for anything. Mm. Uh, isn't isn't there? But then then we get this other wonderful graph, which just stands there. Figure seven: the number of AI startups in my hometown of here we are back to good old Brisbane. How many AI startups have there been in Brisbane since two thousand? And that's all we're told. We get this graph, and it got the total numbers. How many of them still exist? We're not told. How many of them have a market valuation? 
greater than $8.95, we're not told. Um, And with no suggestion at any point, and this is something that quite a number of of pro-business commentators make all the time, is that is money that's being put into these startups misdirected in terms of the return to capital? Mm, It's a promotional activity. Yeah, I mean, well, and should it, you know, I mean, in a a better organised system of capital direction, um, you know, should it have gone somewhere else? Or is this just as it is, as we'll see later on in the case of Uber, um, just a part of the propaganda narrative that they they fling this money around? Now, there are some words, of course, that aren't able to be used in this report. (laughs) Capitalism. That's right. No, the word does not appear. Um, nor, of course, I mean, we don't that. we'll have to whisper it, exploitation. <laughs> doesn't get mentioned either. <laughs> However, productivity, everything's for productivity, <laughs> um, which, of course, is capitalist speak for the rate of exploitation. Mm. Um, but no, 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 we don't go there either. But the unions, there is a mention of unions. You'll be, you'll be pleased to hear. Um, and they get three mentions, and every time they are there, what they are there for is to, uh, uh, for the absorption of, um, of the unions into class collaboration along the lines, and this is explicitly spelt out, uh, of the works councils for the aristocrats of German labour. That's what, the, uh, that's what the unions here have to do. Uh, this is the major policy recommendation as far as the unions are concerned. Just get into bed with the boss. Now, some of us can remember that 30 years ago, this was the arse end of the accord. Mm. And where did that get the unions? Well, that's we know right. the answer to that. No You're mention of class struggle. No mention of workers organising to get, mm. if there are going to be these workplace changes... Um, that they should get shorter hours, they should get better work. No struggle at all. This is a Kath and Kim moment. Just keep it nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's led us to where we are today, uh, Humphrey, with low membership at 12% and the record uh, casualisation rates in the workplace. Uh, Well, that's a real, you know, I mean... I mean, I'm, I'm trying to restrain myself from yeah. from saying that even those 12% numbers aren't really a good guide mm. because if you look at, as somebody said on the other day, at the moment, the the kind of typical union member is a female employee in public service and she's in <coughs> her early 50s. <coughs> you know, I mean, that, you know... You know <laughs> Ah, but that's a diversion too. Get on. Yeah, We've got other things to but, talk yeah, about. I mean, it's a sign that what we've got to do. Yeah, anyway, because I want to hear the rest of this. this we want to hear the rest of this. Oh, we go quickly as fast as we can. Um, now, we're told, however, that at one point, that one of the benefits of AI-enabled automation is that it slows the relentless search by businesses for people willing to work <laughs> for lower wages. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that, that's a really important element. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it, well, I mean, when, when, where, when, yeah. you know, did, did, has, is automation slowing this relentless search? It's true that the relentless search, but it's speeding it up. Yeah, yeah, and, and also this thing about, as in a Stick Together, it's a fabulous TWU guy talking about how we're sick of part-time wages with full-time bills. 
Yep. Yeah, indeed. Um, but, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but, all right. You know, finally, I mean, the other point we want to get on to is they talk about, you know, they have this phrase, AI-enabled um, various kinds of work processes. And inevitably, I thought Not we'd never get... AI-disabled. <laughs> well, well, it's... it's it, I mean, it's intended to enable productivity and the rate of exploitation. There's no doubt of what it's for. As Marx says in Capital, the prime function of machines is to is to get more surplus value. That's right. You know, I mean, it's a you know, but of course we can't we can't even think about that, can we? So, what we get are the wonders of this what they call the foreign enabled. Um, AI-enabled AI services. And inevitably, of course, we get back to Uber. Yeah. I thought, we'd ne- I thought we'd read these 16 pages of the report, where's Uber, I kept saying, because everybody f- throws it in. Even after the terrible crash of their IPO, when they only got half the amount of money, they were, well, they never thought they were going to have $120 million. That's all part of the lying system of the PR. Anyway, what is the truth about Uber. And we'll do another program entirely about Uber before the end of the year because it is so important. Um, As as an example, not so much in itself, but it's supposed to be AI, you know, out in the front. The technology it uses, the app, is the same one used by the cab companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no... They they do not have a secret ingredient. There is no clever thing that they've got that nobody else has and we'll see in that other program it's too much to go into detail now but they the, what they're doing is a completely different kind of operation their high tech label is a con job uh, along with the talk about producing automatic cars uh, the air taxi to telemarine um, it's part of the propaganda narrative it's like Elon Musk's flight to Mars um, you, you say you keep people thinking, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we don't look at the problem that you don't actually meet the KPIs that you've set yourself even now. Um, and that's, that's true for Elon Musk. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly true for what's been happening to Uber in the last four years. I mean, they have turned in uh, a series... I mean, no profit, far from it. They've lost $14 billion in the last four years. What, uh, you, are you saying that it's a South Sea, 18th century South Sea bubble situation? Oh, well, <laughs> well it, no, it's a, it's a, a 21st century version <laughs> of, of, of a plan that... Well, look, when we do the program on Uber, yeah. we'll actually see what it is. But we will look into the capital structure. Great, what good. they what they were doing there because that's what we have to do. The PR machine has sucked in everybody, so the media commentators yeah, and yeah. some of them are on the take, of course. Oh, the other yes. thing we've got to remember. Um, but in the meantime, if you really want to know about Uber, there is someone who's telling the truth. There's a man called Hubert Horan, H-O-R-A-N. You just look him up. But he posts his stuff on something wonderfully called The Naked Capitalist. Oh, fantastic. So the you Emperor can go online, no there's clothes. a site um, called The Naked Capitalist. So next time we will have a look at the train wreck 
which is this wonderful new world company called Uber. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Humphrey. It's been a very enjoyable morning. Thank you well, very much. Well, it has been for us. I don't know that it will be for the John Curtin Research Centre. <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks, okay. Humphrey. Thanks, Marcus. Bye-bye. And that is the end of the program. We went to Coolaroo. There's going to be a rally at uh, Mafra Street. Is that what it's called? Mafra Road? Yeah, Mafra Street, Coolaroo, uh, commencing at 10.30, and it's uh, put on by the Anti-Toxic Waste Alliance and in response to the... Uh, the catastrophic fires and the, the risks posed to workers and the community out there in the north. Yeah, and we uh, di- we went to Witness K and the debacle there. We went on to talking about uh, the propaganda campaign around uh, artificial intelligence. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. We're going to go out with a Rebel Diaz song. Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on, my daughter? See, before I draw the line, let me welcome you close To all the folks who knew Obama, so the people of hopes Gave the money to suckers, while our community still poor Withdrew the troops, but started another war Colonizing, terrorizing, creating the oil crisis So they can make a killer, no food and gas prices Prisons and spitter, they trying to lock up the future Militarized borders and control of computers Want a stupid bump of music that ain't healthy for the shortest Privatizing schools and policemen in the hallways Can't be dormant, I'm a broken rock up, be ready, brought the family with us, and we hold the machetes. Riding the fence, riding the fence, too many people be riding the fence. Yeah, you say you ready for war, but are you convinced? I'm not convinced. If you're a rider, freedom fighter, crowd excited, then let's do this. We can make one big united, middle finger to the U.S. Give me the bravest and the truest, fuck the hippest and the coolest. We gon' spark this revolution and cross this off our to-do list. Put your foot down if you look down on this criminal system. Put your book down and get shook down like my niggas in prison. Don't be condemning and condoning their actions in one sentence. Make it Mind you decide that you a patriot or a minister to society. So riot or sit by quietly. But don't pull out the flag and try to say you gon' ride with me. You flip flopping like hip hop. I don't get locked in that trick box. Get got like big and pop. Shit's got to stop. I am the people, not the big. I repeat after Fred. So please blow my brains out if I ever forget. I'm with the independent thinkers. I'm down with the movers and the shakers and the ex handy drinkers. The non smokers, the health advocates, the non voters, the young bloods in the hood training like. Soldiers, I'm on the side of the tracks with the hood gardens. The little child that no color inside the margins. I don't ride the fence, I cultivate my strength. Cause if it ain't about power, it don't make sense. I've been down with Boogie Down since Beatty Peace and Brown Pride. And Black Power make RBG. A OG told me choose battles wisely. In the struggle, don't forget your children and your wife. If you don't see me on the podium preaching it, every day I hope my every action is teaching it. Cause revolution is. It's a process, it's not a speech or a panel, they bite off more than you can handle. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.